John chapter 9. We're going to preach about Jesus today. Uh, we've been in the Old Testament for a while. Uh, we were in the church in Ephesians. All of us about Jesus. I get that. But this morning we're going to be about Jesus, okay? Um, before we turn to our text, I want us to turn to the Lord in prayer, ask his blessing over this morning for my heart, for my words, for your heart, your thoughts, that the Lord will guide us uh, in our time as we turn to his word this morning. So let us pray. Oh, Father, we come as needy people, uh, creatures who were created by you, but not just like any animal. Or God, you created us in your own image. Father, we have come here to worship you, to exalt you, to glorify you. And Father, I ask that you will um, help me this morning, Lord God, not to be a hindrance. Lord God, that anything that I say, anything I do, uh, Lord God, in the way in which I do it, Lord God, that it will not be a hindrance to your word. Lord God, please help us to know that your word will not return void. Father, I pray for the hearers this morning that you will um, help their hearts to be prepared to hear your word that their minds will be inclined to listen and to understand. And Father, that our hands will be ready to take these truths and to put them into action. Father, you have been so good to us. And we pray this morning that you will guide us in our time. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who we will look at this morning. Amen. So in John chapter 9... Um, I'm just going to let you know where we're going. I'm going to preach the whole chapter. I'm not going to say as much as Luke did last week. All right, uh, he he touched every point. I'm going to touch a, I'm going to touch a, a few points, but a little bit longer than I normally would. I, I I normally preach about five verses. Is what I like to preach. Well, this is a few more than that. Um, there's 41 here. We will not touch on every verse. I don't want to scare y'all. Um, we will not look at every verse, but I'm going to read the whole passage so that we know what is here before we get into the word this morning. So we turn to John chapter 9, starting at verse 1. This is talking about Jesus. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. 
So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until, until they called the parents of the man who had, been, who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered him, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. Do you, not, you do not know where he comes from? And yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not, of God, not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 
Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Recently, there has been a flooding of societal pressure for everyone, whether Christian or not, to capitulate to the wicked worldviews, which there are many, critical race theory, intersectionality, LGBTQ agendas, and all of the such. I'm not going to talk about all those today. However, that is the idea that we as Christians will have to face in our daily lives. We already do. Um, I have been bombarded with how much of this type of thing we have seen and I have seen in our society. We see it on the news. We see it in advertisements. We see it in movies. We see it in business, by businesses. We see it even in applications on my phone that change to the LGBTQ flag for the month of June. It is being forced upon everyone. Not all persecution is the same throughout the world at the same time. There are some who are having to deal with martyrdom even as we speak for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not a prophet, and I am not going to say that we won't have to face that. However, in the short term, I don't think that's what we're going to face first. I think what we will face first is the idea that we will have to compromise, they will want us to compromise on our faith and our practice and what we believe about the Lord Jesus, about the ethics behind the truth of God's word, those are the things that they're going to want us to compromise on and to capitulate to. These things will, if we do not capitulate, if we do not give in, we will be ostracized. We will be ostracized from the society. And that's okay. That's okay. Ostracism or exclusion for our beliefs is here and it is going to get worse unless something drastically changes. Here's the issue. If we capitulate and we give on not being okay with being ostracized for our faith and the truths that we find in God's word, when more strong persecution comes, we will easily give in to that. Persecution doesn't normally come at once. It usually uh, comes slowly, and there are parts that uh, they, um, 
wanting us to capitulate with our truth with truth from the Bible to uh, denounce those things that we find in the word. The particular threat that we see in our text today is that of ostracism. I, I want to point you to one verse uh, for us for, for, to get the context for either believing in Jesus or not. Okay, look at verse number 22. Anyone that would confess Jesus to be Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's the threat. It is ostracism from the religious and societal life in which the Jews lived at that time. This is a picture of exclusion, and it is a, uh, it is a horrific threat in that day. But what we are going to see in this text this morning is that there was a man who had been changed, so changed by Jesus that he didn't care what kind of things came against him. It didn't matter. Jesus had opened his eyes, something that no one had ever been able to do before, that he had surely prayed for for years. And he had probably seen many other people who declared that they would be able to, and yet they didn't. And yet this man, this Jesus, has done it. And he didn't care what threats were brought against him. Jesus had opened his eyes. So the first point this morning is the light of the world revealed to a man born blind. The light of the world revealed to a man born blind. So this is verses 1 to 12 this morning. And I want us to look, actually, we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 8 for just a moment. Verse number 58, if you'll look with me. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this is where Jesus has declared that he is the I am. Referring back to Old Testament passages referring to the Lord, all capital letters. This is the God, the one and only. So he has declared that he is God uh, here to these Jews and religious leaders. And now he, they want to kill him. So they actually pick up stones in order to cast the stones at Jesus. But he gets away from them and he leaves the temple. And then we pick up in chapter 9 verse 1 and this is what we read. As he passed by, so as he's leaving the temple... As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, if we think about this, it, not just somebody that's been blind, that is blind. This is someone who has never been able to see before. Uh, it, it is someone who was born in a state of blindness, which means he had never seen the birds, like that one, chirping. He has never seen the clouds, mountains, trees. He had never seen his mother nor his father. He had never seen anything except for one thing, and that one thing was darkness. That was all he had seen. That was it. Nothing else. Most of us cannot fathom uh, what that was like, but he's obviously having to beg in order to be able to eat outside of the temple. 
Jesus um, is, has come by and he has seen this man. And this man is sitting there at the temple, probably the steps of the temple. And, he is, and, and Jesus sees him. And what happens next is pretty interesting. His disciples ask Jesus a question. Uh, they ask him in verse number 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So for the Jews of that day, um, they believed, they had a, a, a direct correlation between persecution or suffering and sin. So they believed that if someone was suffering, that there was a direct correlation with some sin somewhere. Uh, we know that that is the case, but it's not a direct correlation. We know that sin has entered into the world, therefore things happen that we don't have good reasons for, not particular sins that bring about uh, suffering. But that is not how the Jews viewed it. The Jews believed that since if there is suffering, then someone is in sin. So this man and his situation brought an interesting thought up to them and a question. And it is, well, if he was born blind, then could it really be that man's sin that caused him to be born blind? And so they're asking Jesus this question. What happened? How did this happen? So was it him that sinned? Was it he or was it his parents? That's interesting. This is how Jesus does a lot of times. Jesus does not answer either one of the options that his disciples gave him to choose from. Right? What does Jesus do? He says something else. Look at verse number 3 with me. Jesus answered and he said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents. So you're both, all of y'all are wrong. Look what he says next. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. He says we must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming, when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus wants us, he wanted his disciples, and he wants us to see that this morning that Jesus, that this per, the reason that this man, there's a single most important reason that this man was born blind. And it was so that Jesus would one day be able to meet him and be able to work the works of God in his life. That was the purpose for his blindness. Being a Jew, this man had probably thought that it was either his sin or his own parents' sin that caused him to be in this state. He did not know that his disability that he had actually was for the purpose of glorifying God. He had no idea what was about to happen next, and so we read in verse number 6, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he sent, he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, I want us to understand in this passage that I just read in verse 6, Jesus had not yet spoken to the man until after some things had happened. 
there was a discussion between Jesus and his disciples about the man who was there. And then Jesus, uh, the, the man, you, if, you're, if you can imagine being blind, the man hears somebody spit on the ground. And then he feels that somebody's like about as touching his eyes. And, and Jesus is actually rubbing this, this um, um, sort of a pasty, gritty something on this man's eyes. And then this man, who he does not know, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man acts in faith. And he goes, and he washes. And when he comes back, he sees. He is able to see for the very first time. This man who had never seen anything in the world, not a physical object at all, now comes back and he sees everything that you can see today. Everything. What I want us to understand this morning is that in reality, this man will be the one who will be able to see even more than what those who thought that they could see. I want us to see that this is a high and lofty providence of God in this man's life. This man had been born blind for the purpose that Jesus his son, God's son, would come and would heal his eyes. That was the purpose in which this man was made blind. But the man would soon even realize that there was an even greater sight that he would have, that this new sight that he had was pointing to. And that would be that this man would soon come to know that Jesus, the one who had healed his eyes, was the Messiah that he was looking for, and all the Jews had been looking for for decades, centuries. I want us to understand this morning that the point of the miracles in the Bible is not so that we can one day find the miracles when we see them. That's not the point of the miracles. The point of the miracles of the Bible was to show that Jesus is God. That he is the only one who can truly do miracles at will, consistent with his character. The point of this passage that we see right here is that Jesus is God and he is able to open the eyes of a man who was born blind. Why? Because Jesus was the one who had created all things and now all things hold together by him. He is God. There's a problem in our passage now. Not everybody likes that Jesus is acting and talking like God. Right? I mean, this man obviously is. He is perfectly fine with it. Why? Because now he can see. But that's not everybody. That brings us to our second point. Do not fear being ostracized by man. This is verses 13 to 34. Look with me in verse number 13. We read, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, see, the Pharisees decided that they would do their own investigation of what is happening. Because if this man who had been begging at the temple 
And people knew this man as the beggar who had been born blind. Now this man can all of a sudden see, and this man is running around declaring that this man named Jesus was the one who opened my eyes. Don't you think the Pharisees would kind of want to know what's going on? Well, that's exactly what we see is happening. They, they come and they want to do an interrogation of this man and find out uh, what really is happening here. <clears throat> so they interview the man twice. And in between that, they interview the man's parents. Look with me in verse 17. The Pharisees asked the man who had been blind, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he responded, and he said, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Now, I want us to understand that the, this would scare the Jews. This would scare the Pharisees in particular. Because in order to be considered a prophet, they would be somebody who would be considered of God. From God. They didn't like this. They didn't believe the Messiah had come yet. They still don't. So this would bother them greatly. This would be seemingly heretical to them that someone would say that they're the Messiah has come. <clears throat> this is what this is pointing to. The Pharisees turn to the man's parents now, and he, they want to ask them, but they don't quite get the, as clear of an answer as they do from the man himself. Let's look at what the, they talk about. And they ask the parents in verse number 19. They ask them, they say, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So they ask them, uh, the Pharisees ask this man's parents two questions. But only one of them is really answered. The parents answer the Pharisees' question and tell them that yes, this is our son. And yes, he was born blind. He's not anymore, but he was born blind. But it's really telling what we read next in the response that the parents have about this man's or their second question. They ask, the Pharisees ask the parents how he is able to see now. And they ask, they answer, and they defer. They defer. They pass it off. They don't want to answer the question. Now, we don't know this in the passage, but I would argue that more than likely the man has, has declared that Jesus is the one who has declared, who has opened his eyes, and the parents probably know this. They've probably heard him say that. And they don't want to answer. Why is that? Let's look at what they, what they say. They, they, they specifically say, I quote, Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. It's very important that we understand that this man's parents do not want to answer because of what they know that it will cost them. They know what it will cost them, that it was going to cost them much if they declare this. Why is that the case? We go back to verse number 22 now. Please look with me. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. To be fair, uh, to be put out of the synagogue was a big deal. Um, they, it's not like churches. You couldn't just go to the one down the street if you left, got kicked out of this one. Okay? No, the synagogue was different from the temple, okay? The synagogue were like um, uh, many temples, so to speak, okay? So you had the temple, but the religious leaders of the Jews had created their own laws, man-made laws, that said you could only walk so far on, on, on the Sabbath, which meant if you lived further than that, out from the temple... It was illegal to go worship God on the Sabbath because you couldn't walk that far. So in order to get by this man-made law that they had created, they started building uh, these synagogues so that local Jews in those areas could go to worship. Well, if you do that, it was, it, I, would, I would picture this much like... Uh, for many of if, if you've ever been out in a rural area and you see a, a small one church in an area, well, that's where everybody in that area went to church. Well, that's sort of the same way in this instance because everybody knew everybody. Everybody ate together. They, their kids were friends. Their grandchildren were friends. They, they spent time together. So what, what I'm getting to here is that the threat to be kicked out of the synagogue, to be cast out of the synagogue, was not just to be kicked out of the temple or the church. No, the idea is to be kicked out of their social life and their religious life completely. To cast them out. Now, it's really telling that this healed man's parents have their son, who they know, who was born blind. And yet now he is declaring that he can see because of this man named Jesus. And now they are not listening to that. They are not hearing what he has to say in his declaration of this testimony. What they are hearing and what they are worried about is the fear of man. They are not standing up for the truth. So what we see here is that the, this man's parents and the Pharisees are both fearing man, not God. Now this is not new. The fear of man and the lack of fear of God is not new. We can go all the way back to 1 Samuel 15. You don't have to turn there. But in 1 Samuel 15... Saul was disobedient to God and did not completely eradicate the Amalekites and all of the animals that were there. You remember that story? Excuse me, I don't like the word story. The account that happened, that is not, that is, uh, that is, Saul, Saul did not do what he was supposed to do. He sinned against God. In verse 24 of 1 Samuel 15, we read Saul's testimony for why he disobeyed God. Listen to this. He said, I have sinned. 
For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Do you see that Saul, even the reason for his disobedience was not because he was trying to do good things? He wasn't trying to bring back good animals in order to sacrifice them to God, which is what he did. But that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was because the people wanted him to do it and he feared them more than God. It's not new. It wasn't new in Jesus' day and it's not new today. We are all often, so often, tempted to fear the thoughts, the desires, the judgments of man rather than God. And we should not. In our text today, we see that this man who had been born blind disobeyed the, the parents of this man disobeyed God because they were afraid of man. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, we see another example of this type of faith, this fickle faith that is fearful of mankind. Let me read verse 42 to you. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, talking about Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. How often do you and I disobey God because we are fearful of man? It may not be what we would consider big things, denying the Trinity, denying the full humanity and, and deity of Jesus Christ. It may not be those things. It may be much less uh, things, things that don't seem to be as important. Disobeying God is always bad. But in order to disobey the everlasting God, in order to save face with another creature is a terrible thing. It makes no sense whatsoever. We must fear God rather than man. Now, if you hold to your faith in Christ, you will be ostracized. You will be excluded from some things, especially going forward. I want to give you a few examples of things that could be for you and your family. You may be a teacher who will be confronted if you teach creation rather than evolution. Your children may be ostracized if you will not let them play baseball when it conflicts with the church schedule when you are to be worshiping with the body. If you are a business owner, I can assure you that you will be ostracized and your business will be impacted going forward if you are not friendly and capitulate to the LGBTQ agenda and even celebrate it. An employee, as an employee, you will be ostracized if you stand up against the sin of critical race theory in your workplace. We better be grounded in the truth when those times come, or we will easily cave to the temptations to please man. And I will tell you, the Bible does say that if we are ashamed of Jesus, Jesus will be ashamed of us. 
We must not be. We cannot be. For what has he done for us? Now, that's enough bad. Let's look at a positive example. Look at verse number 24 with me. The Pharisees called a second time for this man who had been blind. So this is a second interview with him. And they told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. So what they wanted this man to do is to say, well, God did it. In order to put down that Jesus is really a sinner, he, he didn't really do it. God did it. That's what they wanted him to do. That's not what he does. Look at his response in verse number 25. It is one glorious statement from a lost man who has been made able to see by Jesus. Look what he says. He answers them, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Obviously, he's not. But he doesn't know. He doesn't, he's like, look, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But, <laughs> but, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's all I know. Nobody's ever been able to do this for me before. I have never been able to see a single thing in my life except when this Jesus walked up to me and he put mud on my eyes and then he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash and then whenever I did, I could see. That's all I know. And you know what? That's enough. I don't need to know anything else unless Jesus needs to tell me. What you're telling me, you've never been able to do this for me, but he has. We can take a principle from this man. Even as a lost man, we can take a principle from him. When we are sharing the gospel with our lost work people, family members, and others, we don't have to tell them everything about Jesus. But we do need to tell them what Jesus has already done for us. Tell them the truth about Jesus. You don't have to tell them everything in the first time you're talking to them. But you must tell them what you do know about Jesus. I'll tell you, if you in verse number 30, <laughs> he responds yet again and gives an even longer testimony about what he has done, what Jesus has done for him. But I wonder, how was this man's bold testimony received by the Pharisees? Uh did they say, well, you know what? That is glorious. Man, I wonder if this may be the Messiah we've been waiting on. Wow, nobody else has been able to do that. Is that what they said? No, that is not what they responded with. Look with me in verse number 34. We read that these Pharisees said to him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And they cast him out. He, for his testimony, his bold testimony about what Jesus had done, for that, these Pharisees, it gets this man 
social, religious, and political ostracism. He is excluded from all that he has known. And you know what? He's okay with that. But this man stayed bold to his testimony. He was even somewhat uh, a little bold in being joking with them from verses 30 down to 32, 33. Do you want to be his disciples too? You've been asking me a lot about this and this man Jesus and what he did for me. Do you want to follow him too? And they reviled him. All that this man knows is that he was blind and now he sees. Listen, we must be faithful. When we are confronted in the world, in all of our workplaces and our homes and our uh, extended family, we must be faithful to stand on the truth when those times come. We must. And I am convinced, listen, I am convinced this is a faithful body of believers and I am convinced that the majority of you are probably sitting there and saying, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up when that day comes and I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. And I hope that we do. I pray that we will. However, I am afraid that in a body like ours that we can easily have an inconsistent faith. Sometimes we can be very dogmatic about particular issues outside of the church in the society. And yet we do a bad job of applying those truths inside the body. What do you mean? We'll be very dogmatic about the sanctity of human life out, yeah, out there. But you see it a responsibility to help serve those children when they are in the nursery. You understand? It's an inconsistent faith to hold that these children are important. They are extremely important. Worthy to go to the courthouse steps and to fight for them. But when we have them, to be able to teach them the truth is hard to serve in the nursery. I believe that this is a product and can be a product of selfishness and potential laziness in our body. When we declare something that we hold to be extremely important, and yet when it comes down to us serving in that way, we don't follow through with application. <clears throat> There's no reason with a church our size to have anything less than an abundance of workers. For the nursery, for putting up chairs, and for doing many things of the sorts. We have plenty of help. We just need people to sign up and help. 
I'm saying these things because, honestly, it's not only for our good as the body and for the church and for the sake of the children and people who are doing these things. It's not just for our sake. Service helps us. It builds relationships with one another. It grows us to love one another and to see God's work in one another. These things are good for us. I'm going to tell you that if you know that you are able and you need to be serving, you need to talk to Bill Ellis before you leave today. I'm just going to get real, real specific this morning. This is application from the Word. If you need to be serving in children's ministry and in the nursery, see Bill Ellis before the day is out. There's a thing in your, in your uh, bulletin, I believe. Sign up. Ask how you can help. Now, if you know that you need to serve in another area, see the deacons. See the elders. There has never been a better time to begin serving in our body just as faithfully as you would declare it out in the world and at your workplace than it is right now. Listen, we, our church, needs every single member working as hard as they can to be faithful to what we are called to. Every single member. And we can do that. Jesus has given us the ability to do it. And he has strengthened us to do it. And he will give us the faith to do it. Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. And this man has continually not only declared that this is faithful and true and right. This is what this man did for me. He even declared it and and we see he, he doesn't care who's hearing, where it, whether it, he is ostracized from the Pharisees, from the, from the uh, synagogue. He knows he may even be now ostracized from his own family. But he knows what Jesus did for him. Powerful testimony. Third, you must be blinded before you can see. Is that oxymoron? You must be blinded before you can see. Verses 35 to 41. Look with me at verse number 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. Now, do you see what happens here? This man has been cast out of the synagogue. He's been cast out apart, away from everyone else. And what does Jesus do? He leaves the Pharisees. He leaves his parents, the man's parents. He leaves everybody else that is around there. And what does Jesus do? He goes and he finds him. He seeks him out and he finds this man that he had just made to be able to see. He found him. What a great wonderful Savior we have. Because Jesus now goes to him and he saves his soul. Further in verse number 35, we, Jesus asked the man, he asked him this, do you believe in the Son of Man? Referring back to the Old Testament. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Who is he? Where? Tell me. 
Jesus said to him, man, I love this. Look at the word see in here, S-E-E, see. You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. I am right here. The Messiah that you've been waiting for for all these years is right in front of your face. I am right here. The one who was able to make you be able to see for the very first time, I am the Savior of the world. Look to me. Trust in me. And the man responds. He says, Lord, I believe. I believe. You are Lord, Jesus. You are him. You are the I am. And I believe. I believe. And he worshipped him. He could do nothing else but he worshipped him. He didn't have to be in the temple. He didn't have to be in the synagogue. No. What does he do here? He worshipped him right there for what he had done for him. Because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus, we know how wonderful and beautiful and truthful that this is. And yet we know that Jesus has to do something before this man's sins are actually forgiven. Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus had to be the one who would be ostracized fully and completely from all that the world would promise him and that he actually deserved. Jesus was the one who was excluded from all and everything that he deserved to be a part of and to have and to hold in order to go to the cross to die for this man's sins. And the glorious news is that it wasn't just for his sins. It was for that man's sins. But he also went to the cross for every single human being that would turn from their sin and would put their trust in him. That they would be saved from their sins. And not only would their eyes be open, but the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to understand and to see that this is the Messiah. That this is the one they had been waiting on all of their lives. And all of the decades and centuries that had been going on before this, it had been passed down by these Jews that the Messiah will come. He will come. We believe that He will come one day. He is here. He has come. And He went to the cross to save our souls. There's an issue with man's sight. There's a problem with humans and sight. Look with me, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? So they're making fun of Jesus. Jesus said to them, If you were blind... You would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This man's parents thought that they could see, but they were blind. 
The Pharisees obviously believed that they were the ones who were able to see, but they were blind. The only one who was able to see was the one who was born blind. Now Jesus is saying, this is so important, that if you have never, that if an individual, every individual, if that every, any individual, if you have not gone from a state of being blind to being able to see, I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually, if you have never gone from a state of being blind to being able to see, then you are still dead in your sins. Hear me. This is so important. It is eternally important. I don't care how long you've been a church member or how long you've been here. It does not matter. If you have not gone from a place of not being able to see spiritually to one of where you can, then you are still dead in your sins. If you have not gone from death to life, then you are still lost. And that is what Jesus is telling these Pharisees right here. If you will humble yourself, Pharisees, if you will just see the signs and the works that have been done in front of your eyes, it's right here in front of you. And if you will see it, if you will recognize that you are blind without me, then you will be saved. So I beg you this morning, if you haven't, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't worry one bit about what other people will think, for it does not matter. Do not worry about what it may mean for you, or don't worry about any of that stuff. What I want you to think about, yes, there will be persecution upon you if you become a faithful follower of Jesus. You do need to count the costs. But my point is, don't worry about the frivolous things, because Following Jesus is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. Those who do trust in him will be raised to eternal life on the last day. Those who do not trust in the Lord Jesus will be raised to eternal death. Being ostracized and excluded from the society. in many ways, is a present threat, and it will continue and probably get worse. However, we must not fear man and what man thinks. We must fear God. We must stand for the truth outside, in the court square, in our workplaces, when those times come. But we also must be faithful in the body as well with those applications. We know that this man held fast to the Lord Jesus Christ and boldly proclaimed what he had done. And I would take it that more than likely, he, for till the day he died, he boldly proclaimed. Now, he probably has some ups and downs, just like all of us, every single one of us, that he proclaimed what Jesus had done for him. You may be put out of the synagogues in your own life, But what we must be able to declare is this one thing. One thing I do know. 
I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this morning that those who do not know you, Lord God, that they will be convicted of their sins, that they will come to know you even today. And if not today, Lord God, that seeds have been planted, Lord God, that you will bring them to salvation. Lord, help us as believers to take these truths and to be faithful to what you have called us to obey them in our lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his ability and his abilities to be able to make a man who was born blind to be able to see. And Lord God, to be able to take us, a wretched sinner just like me, and to make me be able to see. We praise you, Lord. And we thank you for your word today. In the name of Jesus, amen.